Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Each week, I'm asked several times the tools that I employ to be happy, to be balanced, to manage anxiety and depression that I've had in the past. And one of my default settings or go-to practices that I use for my own well-being is yoga. I've been a practitioner for more than 20 years, and I have the great pleasure of hosting Leonard Pulmutter in the studio this morning. Leonard is a pioneer in the mind, body, and science connection of yoga. The book we are talking about today is The Heart and Science of Yoga, Empowering Self-Care Program for a Happy, Healthy, and Joyful Life. And let me tell you a little bit about my guest today because he has quite a history in the industry and field of yoga. Leonard Pohlmutter is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute and the author of Transformation, the Journal of Meditation as Mind-Body Medicine, and the award-winning book, The Heart and Science of Yoga, which we're speaking about today. We also um, know that Leonard has really been instrumental in bringing the practice of yoga to the medical field. Leonard, I'm going to let you describe all this because I'm having a rough start. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be here and I you know, deeply appreciate the invitation. Thank you, oh, Lisa. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, this uh, yoga is, is such a powerful tool for grounding, for healing, for calming, for soothing, a way to approach life. And I I really applaud you for writing a book that talks about the science of yoga because there is a science to this well there certainly is and when most people hear the word yoga the concept that comes up from their unconscious mind uh primarily are the physical postures which it is true that uh uh, yoga uh, does contain physical postures but that's really uh, just uh, one aspect 
of the broader science of yoga uh, that uh, is the world's oldest mind-body medicine and the origin of all religions. Uh, yoga science provides each human being really a template to experience the happiness that you speak of, health and security in the world, uh, by providing us a scientific and a philosophical template for seeking the truth, discovering the truth, employing the truth, and then experiencing an epiphany that helps us to purify the fear and the anger and the selfish desires that are stored in our unconscious mind that only bring us pain. And the importance uh, uh, of yoga begins with a recognition that each individual must really be willing to use his or her own mind-body-sense complex as a personal laboratory uh, in which to undertake scientific experiments. And in the midst of every relationship, what we use is the bridge of yoga. We, we view yoga, which means union, as a metaphoric bridge. And that bridge connects two aspects of our being. First, it, it connects our thoughts and our words and our actions with our own inner wisdom. And the hypothesis of, of yoga states that the more that we can discipline the mind and, and base our outer actions, thoughts, words, and deeds, on our own inner intuitive wisdom, the consequences that flow from those actions will indeed bring us increasing happiness, health, and security. And when we talk about yoga and how it has become more mainstream, I think it's become more mainstream in several ways. It's, you know, there's yoga for everybody, you know, all types and all interests. There are so many kinds of ways we can practice the physical aspect of yoga. And then the other way that I see that it has become more mainstream, and I think that you're largely responsible for this, is how it's hit the medical community and how it's affecting healthcare in, in many areas, not as many as, as there should be yet, but I'm hoping that, you know, we are all changing this together by, by, by talking about it. Because your work has been praised by luminaries such as Dr. Dean Ornish, um, Dr. Oz, Dr. Bernie Siegel, who is a huge friend of the show, and, um, Larry Dossie. And so it's really, um, when the medical community starts talking about its values and virtues, people are now paying more attention. Well, I agree with what you're saying. And uh, I'd like to uh, just uh, give a little bit of a, uh, a different uh, perspective on it also. And that is that uh, uh, both the physical aspects of yoga and the meditational aspects of yoga, which uh, uh, both enhance uh, our, our health and well-being, they're really uh, uh, all one. Uh, in that, even when we do physical postures, it's really about concentration of our mental energy, first and foremost. So there's an easy yoga experiment that we can all do that will uh, teach us that, that the relationship between the mind and, and the body is actually a holistic whole rather than separate. Would you uh, care to participate in, in, in that experiment with us, uh, Lisa, and, and invite your listeners to do the same? I am there, and I, I invite everybody to do this because okay. I, I know it's going to be good. 
Yeah, it's very easy. It's very simple. In fact, every aspect of yoga uh, should be easy, and uh, and it will be right for each of us. So here's the uh, experiment. It's a it's a it's a part A and a part B. Part A, I'd like you to, to to lift your right hand and arm directly over your head and bring it down. Go ahead, try that now. Done. Okay, so that that's doable, right? Completely. Relatively easy. <laughs> okay, great. So here's part B. I'd like you to do the exact same thing you just did. However, uh, this time I don't want you to uh, uh, engage in any thinking. I don't want you to entertain any thought. Without any thinking, allow your hand and arm to rise over your head and and come back down again. Go ahead, try that. I'm I'm doing it, but I'm not sure there's no thinking. <laughs> That's right, because it's because you see it's it's a trick question because uh, uh, it, it's Im- it's impossible to do. It's impossible for the hand and the arm to rise without first entertaining a thought. It's impossible for the body to do anything without first entertaining a thought. So so what what we learn is this profound truth that wherever there's an action that brings about a consequence in our lives, that can bring us the happiness or the unhappiness, the health or the illness, the security or the insecurity, before we can take an action, there first and foremost has to be a movement in the mind. Mm. So, so concentrating our attention and our discipline on the mind first to only entertain those thoughts that have the good housekeeping seal of approval of our own inner wisdom, that will determine whether or not we can fulfill the purpose of our lives without pain, without misery, and without bondage. Oh, I, I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. I'm, I, I'm completely with you here because it's like wherever you focus your attention is where you find yourself. You That's know? right. That's and, right. And with that, we're going to need to go to a break because we have a lot more to talk about. Um, the book that we are discussing today is Leonard Perlmutter's the Heart and Science of Yoga, an empowering self-care program for a happy, healthy, and joyful life. To learn more, please visit www.americanmeditation.org. On Twitter, you can find him at AMI Meditation and on Facebook, American Meditation Institute. We are going to take that break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Leonard Palmutter. Before we go, Leonard, um, just Define one thing for me about yoga, and then we'll dash off to that break. And it's my understanding that the purpose of yoga is to prepare the mind for the meditation. That's true. Uh, uh, There is a genius to the systematic procedure leading to meditation and union with the supreme reality. Uh, the building blocks start with disciplines and restraints and constructive observances known as yamas and niyamas. And then the physical postures, the asanas, uh, uh, come next. Pranayama, which is control of the breath. And then, then uh, control and withdrawal of, of the senses, prachahara. And then training the mind in a one-pointed manner, that would be concentration and dharana. That leads to meditation and meditation leads to union with our essential nature that we refer to as God. Oh, well, we're going to come back and talk about that. We're going to dash off, but before we do, 
Like so many of you, I'm actively seeking ways to live a happy life. And learning new things supports lifelong growth and well-being. And that's why I love watching The Great Courses Plus, where I can learn more about anything that interests me from award-winning experts. I want you to discover The Great Courses Plus, too. So they're offering my listeners a full month of free audio lectures when you sign up using my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Explore topics that fascinate you, psychology, history, art, even photography. The Great Courses Plus has over 8,000 video lectures to help make you happier. Stream them on demand from any smartphone, tablet, laptop, or TV. Even download the videos to watch offline. I recommend watching The Everyday Gourmet, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Cooking, created in partnership with the Culinary Institute of America. It's like having a master chef give you your own private cooking lessons with great tips and techniques for both experienced and novice foodies. I'm watching this series now and really enjoyed learning how to buy and use the perfect knife. Right now, listeners will get a free month trial to watch any of the Great Courses Plus lectures by signing up through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Start your free month today. You'll love it. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. We'll be back in a flash. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the science of yoga. We're talking about yoga from a little bit different perspective, how the science works, how it relates to modern medicine as an ancient form of mind-body medicine. My guest today is Leonard Perlmutter, and we're talking about his book, The Heart and Science of Yoga, Empowering Self-Care Program for a Happy, Healthy, Joyful Life. So, Leonard, prior to going to the break, you mentioned the G word, God. And some of our listeners may not be religious folks, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about spirituality and the definition of what you mean by God, because I think it's broader than many people might realize. 
Well, what's so interesting and all-inclusive uh, about yoga science is that you don't have to believe in God uh, to uh, be able to uh, practice and benefit from uh, yoga science. Uh, the G-O-D word uh, really represents any concept that we have of the supreme reality. Uh, so, interestingly, uh, yoga science is not only uh, uh, attractive to spiritually-minded people, religious-minded people, but also it's, it's just as applicable to uh, people who might be agnostic or atheist, because even agnostics and atheists believe in themselves. And that's all yoga science is asking us to do, is to establish a relationship with ourselves. You know, I think that uh, one of the uh, most profound yoga science teachers uh, in history uh, was uh, William Shakespeare, who uh, said uh, very clearly that above all else, to thine own self be true. Mm. And in the midst of every relationship, we're asked to take actions. And every action, according to Newton, brings about a consequence. So we already know the consequence that everybody wants, whether we're uh, spiritually minded people, religious minded people, or agnostics or atheists. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be secure. So then the question is, how are we going to get to point B from point A? And yoga science simply says, use the mind. And so we want to use the mind to determine our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And there is a function of the mind called our conscience. In, yo in uh, Sanskrit, it's called the buddhi. And our conscience has the capacity to reflect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. The superconscious portion is beyond the conscious. It's beyond the unconscious. It's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. And if we can access that and employ it, we are assured that we'll be led for our highest and greatest good. You often quote Albert Einstein in your work, and I uh, want to talk a little bit more about that, about the, his relevance as a physicist to yoga and these practices, because um, I, I, I think I get where you're going, but I think the listeners might want to know more. Well, I, Albert Einstein has been a very important uh, influence uh, uh, to help me understand yoga science. I believe that uh, on an elemental level, Albert Einstein was an intuitive yoga scientist, first and foremost. And one of his most profound teachings was that a problem cannot be solved on the level at which it appears. It must be solved on a higher level. And so uh, the level at which it appears is this mind-body-sense complex that we, that we live through and in every single day. And when we, when we live inside the matrix, trying to fix things within the matrix, we have a problem because the matrix is defined by the mind, as we discussed earlier. In other words, we can't take an action without first entertaining a thought. And so we need to look at the mind there are four major functions of the mind. First is the manas that engages senses of sight and smell and taste and hearing and touch. Second is the ego that, that divides everything up into pairs of opposites, like good and bad and pleasant and unpleasant. 
The third function of the mind is the unconscious. This is our memory of everything that we deem essential to self-preservation. Now, the problem with these three functions of the mind is that they're not always correct. They only have a limited perspective. Now, our conscience is the fourth function of the mind. This is our discriminative faculty. It acts as a mirror that reflects wisdom from outside the matrix. Okay? It, it, it reflects, the, our conscience can reflect perfect wisdom 24-7 from outside the matrix, outside the mind-body-sense complex, outside the conscious mind, outside the unconscious mind, into the superconscious portion of the mind. And then it has the reflective capacity to reflect it back into the matrix, back into the conscious mind, so that we can consciously be aware of the wisdom that it is suggesting to us. So when Einstein says that a problem cannot be solved on the level at which it appears, it has to be solved on a higher level, yoga science facilitates a template for us to access wisdom from a higher perspective, from the superconscious perspective. And when we change our perspective, we change our experience. I agree with what you're saying wholeheartedly. I think the challenge for many people who um, are wedded to their misery or are, are comfortable in their homeostasis despite saying that they're not, the idea that you can actually harness the mind, retrain the mind, which then um, produces a completely different experience of life is scary for some people because they begin to realize just how powerful they are. If they have the power, power to change all of that, then did they have the power that created it in the first place? You know, uh, I had a brother-in-law uh, years ago who had lower back pain, and I too had lower back pain. Uh, as a young person, I, I, I held my fear in my lower back, and, and it was painful. And I, I said to my brother-in-law, you know, I, I had lower back pain, and it wasn't an operable condition, and I know that you uh, uh, deal with a lot of uh, back pain, and you don't have an operable condition. I said, my yoga uh, practice and my meditation practice has really changed not only my mind, but my body, and I don't have that pain anymore. Would you like me to uh, teach you uh, a few practices? And his response was, if I didn't have the pain in my back, how would I know who I was? And so you're, you're 100% correct, Lisa. People, uh, in, in some way, define themselves and limit themselves uh, by the pain that they experience. They identify with it. Yeah. And so... Yoga is not for everybody, it, uh, and, and I'm not here to uh, convince anybody that what I'm saying is the truth. Uh, I am presenting this body of knowledge to people through this book, through this uh, conversation that we're having, Lisa, simply to ask them, are they interested enough to experiment? Experiment with old habits that are stored in the unconscious mind and just see what happens in your life. Be curious. Uh, you know, when we're traveling down the highway uh, at uh, 55 or 65 miles an hour and somebody who's, who's driving at 90 miles an hour cuts us off and we have to slam on the brake in order to avoid an accident. And in that process, through that relationship, a bubble 
comes forward from my unconscious mind into my conscious mind, and I am consciously aware of anger. What am I going to do with that anger? If I serve it, I'm going to poison myself with all these hormones that are uh, surging through my entire physiology. If I repress it, I'm going to become neurotic and I'm going to be in even more pain. So the key is to sacrifice it. Sacrificing uh, anything that conflicts with our inner wisdom from that higher knowledge. And if we can sacrifice anything that conflicts with our inner wisdom, that sacrifice will facilitate the mechanism for transforming that debilitating and contractive power of the anger, the power of the fear, the power of the selfish desires into strategic reserves of healing, positive energy, willpower, and creativity that we can use 24-7 in any relationship. You know, you use the word sacrifice, and I I think that we should do a show completely devoted to that because that is a very powerful word. And when one says the word sacrifice, and the reason I say we're going to have to do another show is because we're almost out of time. So I do hope you will come back because sacrifice generally connotes, you know, discomfort. And, And sacrifice doesn't always have to be uncomfortable. Well, that depends on uh, uh, your perspective, doesn't it? From the perspective, <laughs> tr- from the perspective, <laughs> from the perspective of the ego, from the perspective of the senses, from the perspective of uh, the unconscious mind, a sacrifice is a net loss. That's correct. However, from a different perspective, when you sacrifice something in order to base your outer actions on your inner wisdom, what you are doing with this contractive negative force like fear or anger or selfish desire is you, a sacrifice means what it comes from the latin sacrifaci you are making this debilitating uh, contractive energy you are making it sacred and you are aligning yourself with your own inner wisdom and that making sacred of our fear and our anger and selfish desire uh, transforms it We already know from fifth grade science that ice can be uh, transformed into water and water can be transformed into gas. We know that uh, uh, crude oil doesn't work in a combustion engine. It would wreck our engine. But we do know that crude oil can be transformed into gasoline that can be used in our automobile. It's the same with fear and anger and selfish desires. Every relationship that we have that pushes our buttons, that, that facilitates the movement of an unconscious force into the conscious mind, now makes that creative energy available to us to be transformed. That's the beauty of relationship. Oh, beautifully said. And we are out of time today, so I'm inviting you to come back. Will you join me again? Oh, you bet. Oh, perfect. Great. The book that we are speaking of today is The Heart and Science of Yoga, the American Meditation Institute's empowering self-care program for a happy, healthy, joyful life by my guest today, Leonard Perlmutter. To learn more, please visit the website, AmericanMeditation.org. On Twitter, you can find him and the organization at AMI Meditation and on Facebook, American Meditation Institute. You have been just a delight, and I, I, I'm so with you in the this mind body uh, relationship and the science of yoga and bringing it to the masses because I know firsthand how it changes lives. Yeah, it's very profound, very profound, and yet it's 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 all common sense. 
Oh, very much so. And 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 good fun. It is. Yep. Yep. All it's right. Thrill a minute. It, it it is. Leonard, thank you so much. And I wish you a lot of luck with um with your book tour, by the way. This is great. Thank you. Thank All you right. very much. Take care. Here come thank the you. tunes. Traveling makes me seriously happy. It's true that when we get out of our comfort zone and explore the world, we can become happier. And away travel makes the perfect carry-on suitcases. They are unbreakable, thoughtfully designed, guaranteed for life, and fit in the overhead of almost every airplane. Away carry-ons include a built-in rechargeable battery with enough power to recharge a phone five times. Away is first-class luggage at a coach price and comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it. Get a 100-day trial. Live with it. Vibe with it. Travel with it. Um, start over there. Get a 100-day trial. Live with it. Vibe with it. Travel with it. Instagram it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, simply return it. Away Travel is the official luggage of my Are We Happy Yet book tour. I've logged tens of thousands of happy miles with sleek Away carry-on. I love the lightweight, compact, and ultra-durable design that is super portable and keeps my stuff neat and organized. So fly on over to awaytravel.com slash happiness and use the promo code happiness at checkout for $20 off any carry-on purchase. Once again, that's awaytravel.com slash happiness. And don't forget the promo code happiness at checkout to get your $20 off that carry-on purchase. We'll be back in a flash. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing the conversation about the heart and science of yoga. And my next guest is approaching the mat a little bit differently. We're talking about every body yoga. Let go of fear, get on the mat, and love your body. Jessamine Stanley is a yogi who breaks all the stereotypes. The self-professed fat Fem's trademark confrontational approach to tackling big topics, fat shaming, body image, and the media, the tyranny of unattainable beauty standards, has garnered her a fanatic following, national media attention, and acclaim as an internationally celebrated yoga instructor whose fans 
flock to her sold-out classes. And we are lucky to have her here talking about that new book, Everybody Yoga. Once again, it's Everybody Yoga, Let Go of Fear, Get on the Mat, Love Your Body. Welcome, Jessamine. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I feel like everything is, you know, nothing has really changed from the time when I was working day jobs. So when you were saying all of those things, I was like, wow, is that me? She's talking about me? That's crazy. When did I do all those things? So thank you, but I don't I don't even think of it as work. It's just what the universe has asked. And here I am. Well, you're doing you're doing great things. Let's talk about your book because no one can see you. They're listening to you right now. And you break, you do break the mold of the tiny little sparrow like, beautiful, uh, whimsical yoga teacher. <laughs> I love the way you just described that <laughs> because that's totally <laughs> how people see it. That it's just like, I always think of it as like an angel and a unicorn mixed together, but it born in Southern California with blonde hair. And that that is the yoga teacher that people always um, assume will exist. And then when they see me, a fat bodied black queer person, they're like, wait, so you do yoga? Is it the yoga that I've seen on TV or what yoga are you talking about? And, and it must be so different from this yoga that, that this other person is doing. And, and I'm just like, no, it's all the same yoga. It's just the problem with the other representation is that you have been given this idea that only one person is supposed to be doing it. But the reality is not that it's not even just that, oh, yeah, and fat black girls can do it, too. It's no, all human beings should do this, that it actually has nothing to do with what you look like and that these shapes, regardless of what they actually look like, for your person, they can be achieved by every single body. So it's just, I think that while I don't really think of myself as being different, I absolutely understand why other people are like, wow, you are very different from what I was expecting a yoga teacher to be like. But I want to add that you are a beautiful, bendy person. I mean, I'm looking at your book. I mean, you got the moves, girl. Okay, so let's 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 you know stand up and and take the accolades. I mean, you are a very accomplished yoga teacher, and you are also on a, a mission to get this message out to people around the world. And talk a little bit about some of the preconceptions that people might have about, oh, I can't do yoga because, and then fill in the blanks. Well, you know, I have to tell you that I really don't see myself as being like a particularly flexible person because I was absolutely the per. First of all, I, when I first started practicing yoga, I was so much less flexible than I am now. I'm talking like to the point of can't touch my toes, lack of flexibility, and which is usually the first thing that people say, like, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. And I don't know when that became the marker for like your overall human flexibility, but if that's your reason for thinking that you can't do it, then that's not a good enough reason because I personally could not do that. And now because and it's it also is not just a it's not an overnight fix it's not the kind of thing where oh yeah i went to three yoga classes and now all of a sudden i'm misty copeland and i'm just the most amazing flexible like ballet-esque person in the world and it's like it doesn't really work that way you may be practicing for i mean on the cover of the book i'm practicing a variation on camel pose ustrasana which is in the book um, in the more basic forms, but this particular variation, it took years for me to be able to practice this. And I think that we see postures like that and it's like you try it one time and it doesn't work out. And it's like, 
I'm not even supposed to try it. The point, you're not going to be able to do it the first time. You may not be able to do it the first 50 times, maybe the first 500 times, but the 501st time, you'll make it a little bit further than you did before. And that journey is the reason that you get on the mat. And I feel like as much as we want to say, you know, I can't do it for this reason, I can't do it for this reason, usually the reasons that you think you can't, whether it's mobility, whether it's age, whether it's like some kind of injury, that's the reason why you should because our lives are constantly changing there's always going to be something that trips you up out of your version of reality and it's important to have something that is constantly pulling you into the now that's pulling you into who you are in this exact moment and that's what the yoga is so that regardless of your starting point you will always be exactly where you need to be because you're learning the the act of self-acceptance and that larger journey isn't really conveyed in these photos of advanced postures so it's really understandable why people think like I'm not flexible enough I don't have the you know I have this illness I have this I'm this old I'm this gender whatever it is but that doesn't actually have anything to do with the practice itself and I think it's important to touch upon the age factor because many people think well I should have started it when I was younger I'm so old I have arthritis Mm. everything aches you're never too old if you're breathing you can do yoga. Exactly. And <laughs> I actually think that an older person, someone who has actually, li- and by older, I mean like older than, I mean, let's call it 30, because I feel like I'm very much on the younger side of the spectrum. And I think that when you see a younger person, you think like, oh, that person had, they have their whole life ahead of them. Their body is so, is so capable. There's so much opportunity there. But the main thing that younger people don't have that older people do is an understanding of the world around them. And when you encounter things as a young person, you think, and especially if you encounter failure or falling or any kind of pain, you see that as being the end of the world. It's like, oh my gosh, what I can't, I can't survive this. But if you're older, you know that you can survive it because you have survived so much more. And so I always think that someone who is older has way more capability and way more possibility than somebody who's younger because you actually understand what the world is like. And, and you can actually start to understand the practice on a deeper level. A lot of younger people get totally caught up in the asana game, the the poses. You get lost in this pursuit of, you know, physical excellence and making sure that your body looks a certain way in the postures. And that's not yoga. That's like masochism. And that has its place. And I totally understand that mentality as I would categorize myself with that group. But I also think that that is a very short-sighted way to see the practice. And I think that if you're older, it can really be a benefit. And I, you know, I've known so many people who are older who come at it with this exact mentality that you're talking about, where it's like, you know, I'm, I can't do it. I, my, my wrists aren't as good as they once were. My back isn't as good. My belly is fat, you know, whatever the reasons are. And that, yes, your body is different than it was before, but that doesn't mean that it's not still perfect. Oh, that and it's so beautifully said. I want to just go back to one thing that you said about people who perhaps mm-hmm. are masochistic about the poses, that there are some yeah. folks out there that really treat yoga as a sport, and there are others who Absolutely. treat it as a sport and a practice, and then there are others who are also treating this as a practice for life, a practice for the body, and a form of spirituality. 
And I think that the fact that there's so many different ways to define it is exactly where the confusion comes into play, because the people who tend to have the most uh, visible influence in the world outside of the yoga community tend to be people who go for this, like, yoga is an athletic sport. And it's like, you know, you're obsessed with the progression of the posture. And, and you take the photos and post them online because this is proof of your excellence. It's proof of your strength and your power. And really, more than anything, what it's proof of is narcissism and ego and a need to receive the criticism, the positive criticism of other people. And that is a whole other level of the practice to be working on that gets completely ignored when you are totally in it for the athletic benefits. And I think that as a society, we tend to only really push the benefits of being, you know, like powerful and having your body look a certain way and everything is all about the way that you're being consumed for other people. But our lives are so much more than that. And as humans, we need more than that in order to be not just to be good people or to be strong people, but so that we can be, you know, strong partners, so that we can be strong parents, so that we can be the best coworkers, so that we can be active members of our community. And the, the true strength of yoga as a practice is that it can filter into all of those other roles that we play and strengthen us overall, not just we, we're Jessamine, we're going to need to jump in here and take a break. I'm sorry. We'll edit out this last little no part problem. so it's clean because we need to go. We need to jump off to break. So let me just do a little segue here. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. To learn more about Jessamine Stanley, please visit jessaminestanley.com on Twitter at JessNotJazz and on Facebook, my name is Jessamine. Here come those tunes. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, 
I have got Jessamine Stanley in the house, and we're talking about every body yoga. Let go of fear, get on the mat, love your body. And Jessamine is a really, I think, such an example and a a new leader in the yoga community of really helping people focus on the practice of yoga, the way yoga can help us get out of our minds, into our bodies, on the mat, and really fully embrace and love who we are. Jessamine, before the break, we were talking about the different kinds of yoga, you know, the sport yoga, the spiritual yoga, the the um, uh, multi- multitudes of interpretations that people have uh, created for modern yoga. But what about the practice of the practice? Do you mean um, how the practice is a practice and that it's not just, you know, something that you do for to show off how perfect you are? Is that sort of the lean of the question? Yeah, the, it, it's about that. And then about the process of when we come to the mat and in other ways, yoga challenges us to take that practice of yoga off the mat into the world and be uh, be kinder and gentler in our relationship with ourselves and others. And that's what I mean by the practice, that it's progressive. There is no mastery because you just keep expanding yeah, the practice. I think, I think that there's kind of a misunderstanding about the practice of yoga in general in that it's something that it's because it gets lumped into the fitness category and because we so closely associate it with you know, Zumba or uh, what are the other, CrossFit or all these different kinds of exercise, which really are about perfection and about making sure that you hit exactly the right note at exactly the right time for your physical body, you know, hitting all of these specific points. And really, all of that is narcissism. It is totally surface level. That's not what yoga is about. The practice of yoga is just about uniting the breath with your body. And that is going to just be a process of understanding what that means. And every time that you get into one of the physical, one of the asana, one of the poses, you're just, it's just another way to understand your breath, another way to look within yourself. And the lessons that you learn while you're on the mat, the lessons about, you know, staying, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, but talking about like grounding through your body and feeling the energy move through you and and finding your place and all of these themes that really easily translate to physical body movements are not just physical things. They're also emotional and spiritual cues as well. And they really show up when you're out in the other parts of your life, when you are not necessarily physically practicing yoga, but that you are always practicing yoga so that every moment of life is a part of that practice. And so it's very different from this like kind of traditional fitness model. Yoga really isn't a fitness thing. It's a life path. Beautifully said. And, but I would, I would add that it teaches us emotional and spiritual fitness as a, as a byproduct of the practice. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, in my own uh, practice, I have found it to be a fabulous mood smoother. You know, I have in the past battled depression and find that it's the best antidepressant, uh, antidepressant in the land. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, I really rooted my yoga practice after going through a period of depression. And even while I've been practicing, I've still had many different things come up where I've had ups, I've had downs. And I do go into more detail about them in the book, especially how they immediately relate to my problems with substance abuse and also my problems with relationships. And that there's so many different ways that your life can be constantly fluctuating and that your mood is always fluctuating but that the practice is always there as something that will help regulate, help pull, because it pulls you into the present moment. So much of our unhappiness in this life comes from obsessing over the future or worrying about the past and trying to control things that are not able to be controlled. And once you release the need to control, there's so much more space, but you can't, it's also not the kind of thing that like you do it once and then you always feel great forever. It's not like I practiced yoga two years ago and now I'm still feeling the effects of that. No, you have to come back to it every day or as close to every day as possible and that even if you're not physically practicing the asana that you're still working the other limbs of the path into your life and still allowing them to seep in even when you think you're not practicing yoga you can still be practicing yoga and that is going to help you so much especially as because we live in a constantly changing world and it's very important to stay in the moment stay present so that you can see all of the beautiful things that are always around you talk a little bit about discomfort and endurance because i think this is something that people um don't really understand the nature of discomfort and you mentioned substance abuse and 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 uh, and depression, really, as I think two byproducts of uh, a low tolerance for the impermanent and the discomfort. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we experience discomfort in this life, we always assume that we're not supposed to feel discomfort and we try to shy away from it as much as possible so that if something comes up for you and you think, that's not going to be for me. You try to push it away. And if it's something that you can't constantly push away, then maybe you'll just try to drown it out with something. And this is when you start to get into addictive behavior. Like for me, alcohol has always been a way to like, oh, okay, well, I can just divert into this because I don't, I don't want to deal with the reality of life so I can come over here. And it's not just, you know, we think of alcohol, you think of other drugs, but it's not just that, you know, shopping, gambling, these are also addictions that are just numbing the reality of life, which is that not everything is pleasant. Sometimes things are unpleasant and that's just how it is. And the asana practice in particular is very helpful with this because a lot of people are shocked that they hear yoga is so calming and it's so peaceful and so beautiful. And then they get to class and they're like, this is terrible. It's so hard. All of the postures are so much more difficult than I thought they were going to be. This is so awful. And the reality is that they are hard because life is hard. Because that's the reality, <laughs> that you cannot walk away from it. That it's, it is, there will be moments of discomfort. There will be moments where you're trying to figure your way through it. And when you start to figure your way through it on the mat, you can figure your way through it in those other parts of life as well. So I think there's a very distinct connection between understanding that, yes, it is unpleasant. And yes, you need to experience that. You have to find that connection because otherwise you'll always be looking for things to be happy all the time. And they're just not. That's not the reality of life. I don't know anyone who who knows that to be the narrative of life. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think that the contrast heightens awareness, you know, that when we experience um, discomfort or dis-ease in a position on the mat, it is a metaphor for the um, impermanent nature of it, because eventually the pose will end, there'll be a release, and then you'll go into the next pose that might or might not be just as hard, or it might be easier. Exactly. And that you can't even worry about what's coming next. You can't even obsess over how long you're going to be in the posture because how often in life do we have moments where it's like, this is dreadful and I don't even know how long this is going to last, but this is just what's happening right now. And then you get to this place where unless you buckle under the pressure, which definitely happens, and then hopefully you pick yourself back up. But when you get into those moments in life and you're just like, wow, this sucks. I'm just going to have to endure this. That's exactly the feeling that you want to pull into when you come into these yoga poses that are just like, wow, this sucks. And it's going to be the poses because everyone, you see a hard looking pose that looks hard and you think, oh, that pose must be so hard. And then you get into a pose that looks relatively easy and it feels really difficult. And then people are like, why is this so hard? It's like there's so many ways for things to be difficult. There's so many ways for things to be, to create discomfort. And you just have to become okay with the fact that you don't know everything and you can't expect to know everything. And it's important to just be okay with where you are right now and the fact that this might last forever. Maybe it will. Are you going to spend the whole time trying to figure out how to get out of it? No, you're going to try to find comfort in the discomfort. And once you get to that place, that's a whole other, it's a whole new ballgame because there's so much comfort that can come in those moments of discomfort that you have to battle over that place of like, this is so terrible to get there. You know, and I'm wondering as you're speaking, in my mind's eye, I'm I'm thinking about those poses which I dread most and what happens when I lean in and I don't resist. You know, when my body's quivering and I don't think I can hold it any longer and I take a breath and I go into it as opposed to resisting it, what happens? You know, how how I melt. And I'm thinking about that as a metaphor for what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think that And I say this a lot in class, that when you start trembling, when you start shaking, that's the moment in life when we always want to step away and when we want to try to figure out how to make it easier. But that's usually the moment when we need to lean in and that we need to sit with the trembles and the shakes and that that's when the good stuff is happening. And it really does – it resembles the fact that, like – when you're shaking, that's a part of balance as well. That like we're we're constantly looking for this balance in life. The trembling place, that's the place where you're standing on the knife blade of balance. And it seems like it's the other way around. When things are still, they're still because you're sitting on the ground. You have to get up. You have to stand on that knife blade. You have to shake in order to really be in balance. And I, I think that because we're so obsessed with making things as comfortable as they need to be, it's kind of hard to get to that place mentally. But again, once you do, it can change everything. We are going to need to stop here. So Ben, I'm going to do a little quick close um, because we're almost out of time. So I want to give give the book and you and your contacts a plug. So here we go. One, two, three. We are out of time. And I want to once again, give our listeners some information on where to find Jessamine. You can find her at jessaminestanley.com. On Twitter, she is at Jess, not jazz. And on Facebook, my name is 
Jessamine. The book we've been talking about today is Everybody Yoga. Let go of fear, get on the mat, love your body. I highly recommend this book for anybody of any size and any age who is looking to find a more grounded uh, approach to life and living. Thank you, Jessamine Stanley, for being our guest today on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. So happy to be here, guys. Have a good day. You too. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and my guests today, Leonard Perlmutter and Jessamine Stanley, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.